Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller. I'm Susie Younger. An African-American licensed psychotherapist. I'm also a licensed therapist. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias. Anything that marginalizes and oppresses. As a white woman, I ask the questions white people are too afraid to ask. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, Susie and I will have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? Max Stanley Cazot is a licensed psychotherapist and the founder, creator, and CEO of Therapies for Everyone in New York and New Jersey, specializing in serving Black men and women. Max specializes in couples therapy, where he processes everything from improving communication skills to healing from trauma and affairs, to dating or recovering from a narcissist. Mac is passionate about changing the narrative for the Black community and removing the stigma attached to therapy. He says his professional goal is teaching the Black community how to obtain, sustain, and enhance all aspects of Black love. Mac is also extremely creative and clever. He developed a super cool project during the pandemic that we can't wait to hear more about. Welcome back. I'm 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 gonna go on record and say this has been the best introduction that I've ever seen. So that write-up, if you could send it to me, that would be excellent. (laughs) Susie does the best introductions. I stopped trying a long time ago. Excellent. (laughs) Thank you. Mac, thank you so much for making time in your busy schedule to come sit with us for a bit. And it's great to meet you and almost in person anyway. Um, So the first question is, what is the most important theme or lesson learned as you were growing up in your life? Ooh. Oh. Oh, so we're going that hard, that quick. Going that hard, that quick. Yeah, yeah, we go right in. (laughs) Let me get comfortable here. The biggest (laughs) lesson I learned, I would say, is the amount of social conditioning that I needed to do. Even now that I'm a professional therapist and a father, I still find myself having to undo some patriarchy, some Mm. toxicity, just the continued path of deconditioning myself from societal expectations and definition and relearning what I need to actually be present, not only for myself, for my clients, for my family, for my kids and for the world in general. I mean, where did you, how did you even figure that out? I mean, that's so huge what you just shared. How did, how did you figure out you had to, I hear you saying you had to unlearn to relearn. And I'm wondering, how how did you even know that? Most men don't have the opportunity to figure that out in their lifetime, let alone at your age. Great question. And that's why choosing the right partner is the biggest decision that you'll make in life. Mm -hmm. Choosing the right partner will affect all aspects of your life. So when I did meet my wife, what, nine years ago, what stuck out was she challenged me because the way that I presented myself, Mm -hmm. uh, because that's what society taught me or how I perceived that women wanted men to present themselves was the complete opposite of what she was looking for. So she challenged me and she called me out, right? Where the car didn't matter, the belt didn't matter, the finances didn't matter, but who you are as a person is what mattered to her. So that allowed me to recreate my internal world, 
but also take inventory around me of what society has taught me to project and actually realize what actually, what mattered. And wow. later on, I was blessed with two little girls. Oh, I, wow. Exactly, right? I can't make boys whatsoever. <laughs> so what I realized is that as a man, having a, a little girl requires a different version of myself mm. that I didn't know I was capable of or was even in touch with, right? So that also lets me deconstructing what I thought a father was supposed to be or was taught to be and redefining that in the context of my family. I remember she was about four months old. Mm-hmm. And every time I was, I was speaking of her, like, oh, my baby's so beautiful. She's so gorgeous. It's always defining her beauty. I never spoke to her strength nor to her intelligence. So my wife, Notice that she's like, why are you always talking about her beauty? How about she's strong? She's independent. She's a boss. These type of things. And I actually had to, I went outside, I sat on the floor, and I started thinking of all the ways that I've been taught to define women, and especially my daughter, and how they're perceived in society, and what women are exposed to on a daily basis. And as well as my patriarchal tendencies that I thought that I got rid of years ago, right? So it's just constant taking inventory of yourself, deconstructing yourself, and then learning what I need to relearn. So, so many powerful pieces of what you've just said. I just really appreciate how you located that so clearly in the center and showed the evolution. I wish, uh, white America could understand their privilege in the same way you just explained it here because the deconstruction and the insidiousness are so compelling of what you speak in terms of patriarchy. And it's the same thing we deal with as, you know, part of the global majority in terms of the the white culture, not understanding. You can't take your eyes off the ball. You can't use the language without having the plan and the strategy. It's less about intent and more about action. So I just really appreciate what you said. That's powerful. So look, I love to see African-American male therapists. I just get so excited. And that's why I tracked you down the way that I didn't beg you to come on. I just think it's so important to have that representation. And I'm wondering, when did you first learn about therapy, being a therapist? And what was that journey like? (laughs) I tend to say I didn't choose therapy. Therapy chose me. And that's actually 100% true. Okay. I think like most men being a teenager in high school, I was just interested in understanding women. I, I was fascinated by why we did the things that we did and why do we behave in the manner that we did. So early in high school, I took a sociology course, Mm -hmm. right? Because I love to debate. If the tree falls and no one hears it, they didn't make a noise, right? These yeah. type of questions, like these type of enlightenments uh, have always been interesting to me. I've always been around people that are older, that had different perspectives, because I believe that knowledge is power and power is freedom. So I've always sought out knowledge. So during high school, all of my friends were in relationships. I will be giving them feedback. I'll be helping them. I'll be taking their phones and answering when their, <laughs> their female partner's contacting them, when they're having a fight. I'll set up dates and all of that. 
So I played that role. So I've already been in the relationship game. In class, I have a note full of pickup lines. And in the lunchroom, I'll just be trying, see what works, right? Like I've always been doing that type of research on relationships, women, men, and, and, and et cetera. So I started fall, falling in love with psychology. Mm-hmm. And I went to college and I majored in psychology. I just loved it. Mm-hmm. I started diagnosing everybody around me. Hey, <laughs> you're this type of personality. No, you're this type of personality. Like I really enjoyed playing the devil's advocate whenever a discussion started. Cause I just wanted to see how creative can, can I get? And just, yeah. these, it just, these type of dialogues really interested. So once I graduated from college with, with my bachelor's in psychology, I was working at the bank full time. Okay. And during that time period, it felt like I would just wake up, go to work, then go home, then wake up and go back to work. Like I didn't really enjoy that the whole time. I'm a personal banker. And I'm talking about relationships with all the clients. I have lines waiting for me. Right? I'm taking too long with transactions because we're talking about relationships. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. And I was also in, in a relationship and I was struggling. Right. And, and, and that's the key for me. I was with my partner. I wanted to be with her. I didn't know how to be with her. I didn't have the skills. I didn't know how to communicate. I didn't know how to address conflict. I didn't know how to address friendship. My education on relationships was solely based on what I saw around me, what I'm mm. seeing on television. I didn't have the, 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 the resource, the, the books, these type of knowledge that I was not previewed to. So one day I was like, I can no longer just do this cycle of just going to work and going home. Like that's not enough for me. So I actually found a master's po- program for psychology but it was mental health, but under it, it said psychology. I had no idea what mental health was. I just saw the word psychology and I jumped on it. The issue was I was two weeks too late, right? So what using my psychology background, I picked up the phone. I called the school. I said, I submitted my paperwork about a month ago. I haven't heard from nobody. This is not okay. And et cetera. I talked my way into the master's program three weeks late with the intention that I had already signed up. Wow. Yes. That is amazing. Correct. So, and then I took an elective course that changed my life forever. And the professor is actually one of my mentors today. I was introduced to the Gottman approach, Mm -hmm. which is research-based, evidence-based on relationships. Mm -hmm. I that time period, me and my girlfriend, my current wife, who we were fighting every day. It was a very toxic relationship. And I'm going to say 90% of the time it was because of me. The way I was showing up in the relationship was not a conducive, was not conducive to a healthy relationship. But that's all I knew. Now that I've been introduced to the Gottman approach and it's research-based, it clicked. Here are the answers you have been looking for your whole life. Wow. Right? So I literally took the exercises. I drove to her house, which was about an hour away. We sat in the car and we did all of the exercises that I could get my hands on. By the end of that semester, I was a level one Gottman trained therapist. And I told myself, everybody needs this knowledge, but they've never been previewed to it. 
my privilege as a therapist has allowed me to gain access. I'm going to take full advantage. I'm going to learn everything I need to learn. Then I'm going to take it back to my community and we're going to change the world. So again, powerful. Let me, let me just ask you one thing about that. You use the word privilege as a therapist. I, I don't think there's anything privileged about what you did. You, you were determined. I mean, nobody handed you anything. You really were determined. That's not privilege. That's, that's, that's hard work and, and determination to find out what you needed to know. And I think that gave you access. I want to give you more credit than that. <laughs> Thank you. And, and I agree with you to a degree because I felt that if I was not a therapist, if I wasn't part of that world, right? more than likely would have never been previewed to those type of information, to those type of research. Because now to, to even be trained through the, through the government institute, you do need a master's in some type of psychology, right? But there's a lot, but there's a lot of therapists who have that access and still don't push the way you did. I, I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit for which you, your determination. Oh, um, I, I definitely... I definitely praise myself for knowing what I wanted to do, finding yeah. and taking full advantage of it. I'm going to say that. But I also felt that the tagline of being a therapist gave me access to certain rooms I or see. certain research or certain trainings that I would have never been previewed to if I was okay. not a therapist. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you on that. And I understand the importance of access and knowledge. I just know I didn't learn about Gottman in school. And so, it, you know, I didn't find out about it until much later in my career. Yeah. So I think I think that's pretty incredible. And so you're licensed in both uh, New York and New Jersey, correct? Correct. And officially on track to become the first black male certified government therapist in New York City. That's amazing. Wow. Amazing. So what do you think destigmatizing and decolonizing mental health means to you? To me, it means deconstructing this belief that within the communities of colors, that it's not okay to talk about our problems, that it's not okay to go see a professional to make sense of the world around us, and also to creating easier access for communities of color to receive the mental health care that they deserve. Because if we're being honest, we are the most oppressed mm -hmm. people in society, mm -hmm. right? Our, our mental health is at higher risk than most. Yes. So we're, we're, we're the most in needs, but we're also the ones in which therapy is less accessible to. Yes. So that's my idea of trying to dis, destigmatize the tag therapy, making it somewhat cool, but accepted within society and within the communities of color. And, and the big part of what you said, again, has to do with access. You know, yeah. what, what you have to go through is if you're on state, you know, you have to call the back of the card for behavioral health. They'll email you a bunch of clinicians. You have to go down the list, find which one you want to use. And you can only hope this person understands the culture from which you were born and how to work with you. And if they don't and you're desperate, you're going to take what you can get, which is a whole other layer of being traumatized. Correct. And yeah. especially if. Our, our way of speaking is not understood. Our, our culture mm -hmm. is not understood. Our experiences, which might seem different to an outsider, might be very normal to us, right? right. So there, there, there's a lot of unspoken things that can be missed. And if we're being honest, historically speaking, people of color have always been misdiagnosed and mistreated 
by those in this profession. So the lack of trust, it's merited. But now with a push of having more clinicians of color that Mm -hmm. can understand and that are accessible, we're able to destigmatize Mm -hmm. and start creating a, a much more positive response to the idea of therapy. Well, and and you actually bring in yet another layer, which is depending on where a a person of color is with their own racial identity development will impact uh, how their work is done with other people from the global majority. So you seem incredibly evolved. You have the language, the understanding on a deeper level. If a therapist is not wholly identified in who they are culturally, that's going to impact how they do therapy. And they're going to be more focused on, you know, helping this person assimilate than they are integrate which is, is also, you know, unfortunate and a disservice to people who seek support. Agreed. You know, we are collective people. And if you have a clinician who's not been cross-culturally trained, they're going to do, you know, the Eurocentric lens of individualization and that individualized um, thought process. And individualizing is not a big part of the global majority's community. So it's so layered and so important and so complex to treat people cross-culturally. And I think it, I I just agree with you completely to have a place where you feel seen and understood is so important in destigmatization. So I support what you're saying and doing. And there's also an added layer of specializing with a specific population or specific diagnosis. So often I'm seeing therapists saying individual couples, families, but not individualized trainings in these specific categories. Yes. So to, to me, I say that I, I don't call my, myself a couples therapist. I have a specialization in couples therapy. My okay. practice, I see mainly couples. I think it's 90% couples and 10% individuals, right? Okay. So once, if you can specialize with, with a certain population or theory or, or diagnosis, then you can even be more effective in what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely a school of thought. I've always found that really difficult because I consider myself much more eclectic and I think Susie does as well. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. I can understand that, you know, how that's desirable, but I also have to speak to how difficult it is, you know, particularly with things evolving and constantly changing in the in the theories and, and how the old ones still stand strong, you know? So wait, I want to shift gears a little bit and ask you about What's your idea on the most effective uh, way? And I know you can't speak to this fully, but just the idea of what's the most effective way for couples to recover from either an affair or a one and done cheating situation. (laughs) I would say one is finding the right therapist and two is being committed to doing the work, Mm -hmm. right? Because commitment is everything. You, you, you could, you, you could desire to heal and reconnect, but if you're not committed to the process of addressing the affair, which is a very traumatic experience, right? Mm-hmm. And, and infidelity presents the same symptoms as a veteran that was at war for three years. They're going okay. to experience the same PTSD symptoms for years. So infidelity is one of the most traumatic experiences that one might go through because it affects different aspects of your world and your support system. Not only did you betray my trust or our family, you've also betrayed everything that we work to create together. Our friends group, my environment, my family, 
my identity, myself, and where I felt that I stood, my self-esteem, the way that I perceive relationships, the way that I perceive myself. So again, it would say finding the right therapist who is educated and able to walk you through that process and being committed to doing the work. And I, I think I'd also add the therapist who understands the couple modality and is not so focused on working with two individuals as a couple. Correct. You know, I think that's a huge problem. People think they can bring two people and use their individual techniques on a couple. And that's, I think that's a disservice as well. Do you agree? 100%. Because at the end of the day, your client is the relationship, not right. the individuals. I am right. here to treat the relationship. And by doing so, I'm also addr- addressing individual factors. But if I mm-hmm. solely focus on in, in individual factors, I may never get to the relationship. So a lot of times I hear others saying that, well, you need to, to do individual therapy first before coming to couples therapy. And that couldn't be, basically, that's that's not true. Okay. It's much better if you come to couples therapy because the, the individual factors that you're experiencing and the way you're showing up in the relationship is affecting the relationship as a whole. By focusing on the relationship, I can address your individual trauma, your mm-hmm. individual triggers, the way that you present yourself, the way that you communicate within couples therapy, which has shown to be far, far more effective in treating these things as well as the individual factors. I'm not sure. That's that interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely makes sense. And it's really interesting because I've, you know, historically asked for them to be an asked for a couple to be an individuals while I work with them as a couple. So it's really refreshing to hear you say this other perspective of seeing couples as equally effective, uh, having the trauma emerge and being able to deal with it within the relationship. I really, I really appreciate that perspective. That's, that's good. So as a narcissistic abuse survivor myself, I want to talk about. Thank you. Power to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm wondering if you talk a little bit about your work with narcissistic abuse survivors. Oh, man. I didn't, again, I didn't choose that. It came to me. Okay. Um, I I, I think, well, I would, first, I want to say social media is powerful. Mm-hmm. So as long as I was out there putting content out and talking about these things, because I, I do feel that a lot of times the cl- the clinical voices are not heard or not mm-hmm. welcome because they're not as digestible. Yeah. Right. I tend to say that us therapists will provide the medicine while the others provide the tea. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's good. Right. Like we can sit around and drink tea and talk about our problems and we put it into words. But eventually people want the medicine because they want to cure what's happening. I I found my DMs full of individuals that have dealt with narcissists and looking to understand what was wrong about them and what they Mm -hmm. could have done to change the outcome of the relationship. So it was mainly helping them first understand what a narcissist is, how do they present themselves, what stages to do they go through to basically recruit you, right? And when you actually, correct. And when you make it out, how to rebuild yourself and also to, to identify any predisposition that one might have 
to dating a narcissist. That's great. Well, we know that they go after empaths. Very much the prospects are, are highly based in the empath community. And so you are not dating the person you thought you were dating. You're with the person they've created because it fits who you want it. And I think that's one of the hardest things to realize is that you, it was, it's like a mirage. It's not what you thought it was. So I I love how you phrased that there. I think that's really, really helpful. And so go ahead, add to that. Yeah. I was was just going to say that research has shown that you're more likely to date a narcissist if one of your parents was a narcissist, or if you Mm -hmm. have this belief that you don't deserve any better than what you're currently experiencing. Yeah, welcome to being a therapist. And I think <laughs> we all have we all have something we had to try to figure out. Right. So I want to hear you talk more about the Gottman method of treatment and why you believe in it so heartedly. It's researched. It's yeah. research, it's research-based. There's no guessing. And what I also like about it, it's very skill-based, right? The therapist is not there to be a referee to tell you what decisions to, to make. It's about oh, okay. Good. I'm assessing your communication skills. And based on my assessment, you guys don't know how to communicate. So let me teach you how to communicate. Let's practice the skills and then let's put them to test by addressing what's happening in the relationship using the healthy communication skills that we have just learned. So to me, that's amazing because it's it's skill-based. Anybody could do it. Mm-hmm. Anyone who is that dedicated and willing can master those skills and change the landscape of their relationship forever. I love how you frame that and explain that. That's so helpful. Um, so let's get to the the game that you created, uh, yes. Love Unlocked Card Game. So let's talk about that. How'd you come up with it? Do you have it? Do you have it handy? You can show it to us. Yes, here we go. So um, couples get divorced over the conversations that they should have had but chose not to have. During the pandemic, I was getting a lot of requests for couples therapy. With a lot of people, either they didn't have the time or they didn't have the finances, but they realized, I I think the pandemic was a wake-up call for a lot of couples, like being stuck between four walls for for 24 hours with no way out made them realize they're living with a complete stranger Mm. and there's no longer that eight hour break of going to work and then reconnecting at the end of the night. So basically I created this game to be one of the go-to for couples therapy outside of the office. Okay. It's not really a game, meaning you can't play it with your friends. You can't play it (laughs) as a group. This is what you do in the privacy of your bedroom or the privacy of your home. This is basically, it's focused on the five themes that couples tend to argue the most about and that they also tend to avoid the most. It's creating a space where we're going to have these conversations so we can learn more about each other and understand each other better by building more understanding and compassion. Research showed that you're less likely to engage in conflict when you have a built-in compassion and understanding. If I understand how your past is helping you show up into the relationship and how your upbringing has affected you, so now when we're at an impasse where we got to make a decision or having 
a talk about a, a particular topic, I can understand the triggers. I can see them. So therefore, I have this compassion and this understanding of you. So we're less likely to engage in conflict and more on understanding. Okay, love it. Can you show it to us? Yes, of course. So right here, Love Unlocked by myself. You got the rules in the back, which is basically pull out a card, sit and talk about it. Love it. It's that simple. Yeah. They're currently on sale now on my website, therapyisforeveryone.org. It's the first clinical card game that has been created by a Black male therapist. And it's basically worth about three to four years of couples therapy. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. How can you, how can you not sell that? <laughs> no, right? <laughs> so, Ooh, good point. say it again. What'd you say, Susan? That on Amazon. Yeah, for sure. Um, so black love needs to be preserved. I know that that's what you believe. And what do you want couples to know about how to sustain a healthy relationship besides coming to you for therapy or in addition to coming to you for therapy, what else should they know? What's kind of, um, a message you can give them? Hmm. So on average, couples wait six years too late before going to therapy, couples therapy specifically. On average, there's 100,000 divorce in the U.S. alone without no therapeutic intervention. Okay. So personally, what I've recommended for all couples is the minute that you're deciding to be a couple and you want to take that seriously, go to therapy ASAP. Because at mm. the end of the day, it's the skills that are going to determine whether or not your relationship is going to survive. Can you right. communicate? Can you grow the friendship? Can you increase um, intimacy and passion? Can you name your feelings? Can you do so in a safe manner? When my triggers show up, are you skilled enough in addressing them and helping me cope? When you are flooded, are you able to soothe yourself? Without having those skill sets, you cannot produce a healthy relationship. So to me, that would be my number one requirement. And the second one would be the greatest red flag of all times. And that's something that I want most couples to really pay attention to. In the dating phase, is the person sitting across from you, do they have a high emotional IQ? What is the level of their emotional intelligence? Too often I'm seeing people with low emotional intelligence being in relationships that that this has disaster written all over it they are not willing to do the work they are un, un, unable to do the work they cannot understand your feelings of sadness or anger or being let down to them you're just nagging mm. you're just making everything a problem when you are feeling down they don't know how to pick you up when you ask them to show up for you in a particular manner they say no, because they want to show up in the way that feels the most comfortable to them. That's not what you need in a relationship. When dating a partner, the number one thing you should look at is, are they coachable? By that, I mean, if you bring me flowers and I say, you know what? I don't like, I appreciate the flowers, but I actually hate flowers because they die. And I think that they are a bad investment. Are they able to take that feedback and add it for the next time? Or they bring you pastries? instead of flowers. That is so great. I just love the way you frame that. That's such a great message to send out there. So I'm going to not actually shift gears, but this kind of factors into what you're saying. 
which is how do you effectively, or how do couples uh, effectively navigate racial trauma, raise black children and maintain loving relationships. And I understand it's based in what you said. And when you add those two other layers, what does that look like in your, in your work? <laughs> oh man. I think that there's no right answer or right. of specific intervention. I think that comes down to two things. One is curiosity. Two is communication. Curiosity because you want to understand. And by being curious and asking questions and trying to get more examples so it could make sense to you and you can understand that. Secondly is the ability to communicate because these topics can get very spicy very quickly where mm. one might walk away feeling offended or attacked or bullied or etc. So without yeah. the appropriate healthy communication skills, this is a topic that you're more than likely going to push under the rug because every time yes. you bring it up, it creates a fight. So to me, I would say curiosity and hopes of understanding, like you don't have to accept, but you can understand. And then communication skills so you can create a safe space in which your curiosity can lead to a deeper con conversation. So, you know, normally I believe that you don't have, it's difficult to understand. Ultimately, acceptance can be a neutralizer. Do you think that is not true? I, I think, so in conflict, couples mm -hmm. tend to try to get to acceptance. I'm right and you're wrong. Versus yes. understanding, which is my viewpoint is true to me because that's right. my experience and your right. view is true to you and that's your experience. So therefore we can both be right in our experiences, but as your partner, I can understand why me not bringing the milk home might, might look selfish to you, right? Even though yeah. I don't accept that. So it's the same concept in which I can understand why you feel the need to cross the street when a police officer is approaching you. Right. Right. I, I can understand that this may create some some anxiety for you or you may fear for your life. I may have never experienced that or I I'll probably will never accept that because it's not my reality. But I can understand why you okay. feel this way. I like that. I like the way you you frame that, because sometimes I think, you know, language gets in the way. You think I mean, I know it gets in the way, you know, you think I mean one thing by what I'm saying. And so it's beneficial to develop language that's user friendly to, to the people you're engaging with. So I think that's awesome. Mm -hmm. So, Mac, obviously, we could go on for another hour easily, but I want you to have the final word. Where can people find you? What do you want them to know about you and your practice? You can find me on Instagram as talk to Mac underscore therapist. That's talk the number two Mac M A C underscore therapist. If you are looking for couples therapy, you can find me on therapy is for everyone.org. Um, that's where you'll get access to my products and my workshops that are located in New York City and New Jersey. I also offer marathon sessions, which is four to six hour sessions. Those are created for couples that want changes as quickly as possible and don't have the time for a weekly session, but actually are looking for results right here, right now. In terms of what I would like people to walk away with is this idea that differences are guaranteed, but conflict is optional. Mm, I love that. Differences are guaranteed, but conflict is it's optional. optional. Yes. That's great.
Mac, it's so great to sit and talk with you. I love how you think. I love what you're doing. I appreciate you coming on. And, you know, everything you say is really powerful. And I, I just want to thank you again. Thank you for spending the time with us. Thank you. And thank, thank, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed this conversation fully. And that introduction, if you could send that to me, that would, that would be amazing. Too. <laughs> My pleasure. For sure. And, you know, as the year goes on, or maybe next year, you'll be able to come back and tell us how it's gone this year with the new product and the practice and the marathon. I mean, that's, that's just so awesome. Hopefully people will figure out that it's worth the investment because it's really necessary. I, I, we need I it in our most definitely. Yeah. Agree. All right. So thanks again, Mac. Thank you. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. JD and I want to thank our fabulous producers at I Am Music Group. And for all of you out there who want to do your own podcast, go to IamMusicGroup.com and the team will hit you back. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller.